welcome to the Biomedical Engineering News Podcast. Today is March 2nd, 2020, and it's uh, Monday. Happy Monday. Yeah, I took a week off um, just to collect my thoughts, you know? You sometimes just got to do that. So hopefully we'll come out some more good stuff. But today in the world, well, really last week, I still have this stuff up. Positron emission tomography. Researchers find a cure for diabetes and lab mice. Unhealthy aging could be thwarted in the future by new molecular discovery. Hmm. Next generation batteries built by viruses down on the farm that harvest metal from plants. Huh. Scientists discovered the first animal that doesn't need oxygen to live. Hmm. Robots that teach autistic kids social skills could help them develop cupping therapy and that's our biomedical bio biohack of the day cupping no sound effects just music let's move all right so i've got a couple things um yeah, I got emails from MATLAB, and there was an email on there saying how they're using, posi- uh, you know, uh, cancer against itself, you know, and, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. That's how you can learn uh, machine learning. So they, they linked to this uh, journal article <laughs> published by National Institutes of Health that, uh, well, it's about positron emission tomography, radio tracers in oncology, which is, um, you know, managing patients with non-small cell lung cancer. And um, I'm just going to read this quick abstract. So PET, which is the positron emission tomography, is a nuclear medicine imaging method frequently used in oncology during the last years. It is a non-invasive technique that provides quantitative in vivo assessment of physiological and biological phenomena. PET has found its application in common practice for the management of various cancers. Lung cancer is the most common cause of death for cancer in Western countries. This review focuses on radio tracers used for PET scan with particular attention for non-small cell lung cancer diagnosis, staging response to treatment and follow-up. Yep, so we're, we're using uh, uh, machine learning to better uh, uh, diagnose and um, the, the get prognosis based on the radio tracers in the oncology of small. So, all right, so let's move forward. what the pets can looks like maybe I'll take this photo it's pretty good Whew. 
Diabetes Researchers Found a Cure for Diabetes reports in nextweb.com and lab mice. All right, so 34 million Americans have diabetes. It's approximately 10% of the population according to the American Diabetes Association. So the most common treatment has been to manage the disease with a carefully controlled diet and regular insulin shots if needed, but a cure may be in the horizon. So a team led by Jeffrey Millman at Washington University at St. Louis, Missouri, found last year that infusing mice with stem cells could offer a better treatment option. Hmm. So... Building on that research, the same team may have found a cure. Um, and diabetics are characterized by their difficulty producing or managing insulin. This requires careful monitoring, a strict diet, exercising, expensive insulin shots, and, uh, you know, many diabetics find themselves rationing due to the cost of drugs in the United States. Well, insulin is normally produced in the pancreas, but those with diabetes can't or don't produce enough of it. So to treat diabetes, many diabetics have to monitor their blood sugar levels and inject insulin directly into the bloodstream as needed. So uh, Melman's treatment foregoes these shots and instead uses beta cells to secrete the insulin for you. Wow. In a new study, the team improved on the technique and developed last year to produce and introduce these cells into the bloodstream. When converting the stem cells into uh, another type of cell, there are always mistakes and RAM cells enter into the mix along with the insulin-producing ones. These cells are harmless, but they don't pull their weight. Hmm. Yeah, these beta cells sound really interesting, so... Let's uh, keep a lookout, because the team plans to continue testing on large animals, and, uh, you know, uh, human clinical trials one day. So unhealthy aging could be thwarted in the future by a new molecular discovery. So everybody wants to live as long as possible. Tell that to Dave Asprey. Yeah, we try our best to take care of ourselves. We watch our diet, we stay active, and we throw away the cigarettes, which I did. Yeah, owing to our galleon efforts and thanks to advances in science and medicine, human life expectancy across the world doubled in the 20th century. The average human can now expect to live past 70 years old. Crucially, a new study has uncovered potential new way of improving healthy aging in humans because while we may live, may be living longer, those ad years aren't necessarily of good quality. <coughs> so there's a key difference between somebody's lifespan and uh, their health span, which uh, health span is defined as the period of one's life that one is healthy, or the years of our lives that are spent disease-free. 
the global increase uh, of life expectancy has paved way for ever-growing rise of late-onset diseases such as Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. The greatest risk factor for disease simply remains to be old age. Well, in turn, scientists want to uncover the molecular and cellular processes that underlie the cause of disease in old age and ultimately find ways of impeding it. Now, research published Wednesday in the journal Nature points to a biological route that could lead to that of any achievement. So if, if uh, scientists learn how to manipulate these factors. So Xi King Chai... Kai, a p professor at the Institute of Neuroscience and State Key Laboratory of Neuroscience in Shanghai, took worms, specifically nematode seed elegans, and treatment uh, employed a technical technique uh, known as genome-wide screening. In doing so, they found 59 genes that were found to potentially play a role in regulating the aging of the worms. Have we already talked about this? I don't think they're talking about the same one that we talked about a while back. <coughs> Whatever. Alright, so... Hmm. Aging and worms, we've talked about this. Gosh darn it, what are we doing? Uh, so these uh, two proteins are called BAZ2 and SET6. They're from mice and humans. When the researchers removed one of these regulators from the mice, they witnessed a noticeable improvement in cognitive decline in the mice subjects as they aged. In turn, the human versions of the two regulators appear to play a role in the progression of Alzheimer's. Their expression in our frontal cortex was known in the study to increase as we age. So, um, yeah, let's move forward. Okay, all right, so, uh, viruses, yeah. Viruses could build batteries, and, um... Well, they call viruses nature zombies, but, uh, um, Henry Ford fans, so they turn, uh, the, they're more of like an assembly line. Yep. You're like, hey, do this, do that, and they'll do it because they're not living, they're not dead. They're just like, ah, um, yeah. All right, so in 2009, MIT bioengineering professor Angela Belcher traveled to the White House to demo a small battery for President Barack Obama, who was just two months into his first term in office. So there are many batteries that can get an audience who's a leader of the free world, but this wasn't your everyday power 
pouch, but uh, Belcher had used viruses to assemble a lithium-ion battery positive and negative electrodes, an engineering breakthrough that promised to reduce the toxicity of the battle battery manufacturing process and boost their performance. <coughs> Well, Obama's preparing to announce $2 billion in funding for advanced battery technology, and Belcher's coin cell pointed to where th what the future might hold in store. Um, a decade after Belcher demoed her battery at the White House, her vial assembly process has rapidly advanced. She made viruses that can work with 150 different materials and demonstrate that her zipping technique can be used uh, <coughs> to manufacture other materials like solar cells. So uh, Belcher's dream, um, what is it? Yeah, what is Belcher's dream? Oh, Belcher's dream of zipper of virus power car. You're probably wondering, what does this biomedical have to do? Well, think about uh, a virus powered pacemaker. Think about a virus powered insulin pump. Yeah, let's move forward. Same sort of thing. Uh, we got harvest uh, metal from plants. So uh, hyperaccumulating plants thrive in metallic soil that kills other vegetation. And botanists are testing the potential for phytomining. So uh, New York Times reports some earth plants have fallen in love with metal with roots that act potentially practically like magnets that uh, make hundreds of thousands of uh, other plant species free, flee or, or die, you know? So slicing one of these trees open, uh, you know, there's a neon blue-green juice, and it's, uh, it's actually one quarter nickel, which is far more concentrated than the ore feeding the world's nickel smelters. Um, so yeah, you know, plants have only collected soils, minerals into their bodies, but seem to hoard them. Um, to ridiculous levels. So uh, the vegetarian would be the world's most efficient solar-powered, um, you know, mineral smelters. Oh, I'm so tired, let's move forward. So, um, 
you know, you think all animals need oxygen to live, right? Well, wrong. There's a unique organism that doesn't need to breathe. Instead, the tiny parasite lives in salmon tissue. And it also doesn't need oxygen to produce energy. Uh, Oregon State University's Department of Microbiology. <sighs> Stephen Atkinson. He co-authored a patient a paper on the groundbreaking less than ten celled hanengenia salmonicola that appeared in the journal PNAS this week. They're fun little creatures. Um, when we think of animals, we picture multicellular creatures that need oxygen. So, unlike many single-celled organisms, including protists and bacteria, in our work we have shown that there is, are, is at least one cellular animal that does not have the genetic toolkit to use oxygen. Um, eventually, it's going to expand on the definition of what an animal can be. It's free epic stuff for such a deliberate geezer. I think the more often I eat vegan, I talk to people about it, and I show people it's not that big a deal, they get motivated. I want that for everybody. Alright, so we got robots that teach autistic kids social skills, could help them, um, you know, develop, so... And it's an epidemic. One in every 160 children globally has autism spectrum disorder. At my work, there's a kid that has. Uh, <clears throat> yep, so, um, yeah, in the U.S., the rate is nearly triple, likely due to uh, diagnostic and reporting differences. So, the. Developmental disabilities often characterized by social, emotional, and communicative challenges. So, it's not something that can be cured, but early interventions like speech and behavioral therapy can improve a child's development. But such human based interventions can be expensive or time intensive. Many children on the spectrum are recommended to have 20 hours of therapy a week. Traditionally, uh, one size fits all um, you know, technology interventions can uh, also be a difficult to design, and symptoms and behavioral patterns vary widely among effects. Yeah, I mean, one time we read, you know, how we're on the spectrum, and here's your treatment. You know, it's like, all right, so this new study published by Science Robotics Today has taken an important step in advancing the AI that powers the, these in-home companions. And, um, Maja J. Matrick and her team at the University of Southern California created a machine learning model that uses audio and video data, such as dialogue and eye contact from autistic children's interactions with the robot to uh, predict whether they are engaged in a given training activity. If they're not, the idea is that the robot could then react and re-engage them to hold their attention in the therapeutic exercises for longer stretches of time. Well, during testing, the model reached a 90% accuracy in predicting the child's engagement despite noisy data alone and high variability among patients, participants. Um, importantly, the study was done using data collected from robots that lived with the children in their homes for a month-long period. 
It's part of a multi-year research initiative that has sought to examine the impact and advance the capabilities of these companions in a realistic environment. In contrast, most other studies of today have been limited to short time scales in controlled lab settings because of the intensive approval and design processes required to bring such technology in home. Alright, so let's just get to our uh, biohack segment, right? Okay, so uh, cupping therapy. I recently had it for the first time. Some people like to think it's pseudoscience. Well, it fucked my stomach up. Really did. I was like weird all week. I didn't really know what was going on. And yeah, I've been staying like, you know, G and, and, uh, just don't really understand, you know, like feng shui and, and how it affects everything. I mean, of course it could be all fake, but what if it's not? And, uh, you know, well, cupping is a type of alternative therapy that originated in China. Involved placing cups on the skin to create suction. The suction may facilitate healing with blood flow. So, um, yeah, the flow of qi, spelled qi in the body. Qi is a Chinese word meaning life force. A famous Taoist alchemist and herbalist, Jay Kong, reported that practice cupping he lived from 281 to 341. Incredible. So many Taoists believe that cupping helps balance yin and yang, or the negative positive within the body, resulting uh, balance between these two extremities is thought to help with the body's resistance to pathogens as well as the ability to increase blood flow and reduce pain. So, uh, increased blood circulation in the area where the cups were placed, and, the, and they may also relieve muscle tension, which can improve blood flow and promote self repair. It's also, um, you know, there's like different types of cupping. There's two different main categories with dry cupping and wet cupping. Dry cupping is just suction, and wet cupping, it's like controlled bleeding. Crazy. And, um, you know, usually it's done with acupuncture and not today. But, um, 2012 review of studies suggest cupping therapies healing power may be more than just a placebo effect. You know, it, it may help with the following conditions, among others, shingles, facial paralysis, cough and dyspnea, acne, lumbar disc herniation, and cervical uh, spongiety. Spongiety. Uh, not really many side effects. You might get lightheaded or dizzy, but um, yeah, what, what I've experienced was just bruises. You know, it's like you get bruised and it's like annoying. It's like yellow, and I felt a little weird going to the gym with sleeveless shirts, but I got over myself and it was a good experience. But um, definitely, God took a lot out of me because um, it's important to eat right and feel good about yourself. So. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I want to say, uh, yeah, stay tuned for some more fun stuff later in the future. But uh, have a good night, and we'll talk more later.